Do you feel like it's possible to find joy and positive change within veterinary medicine? Are you looking for a community that's striving for fulfillment rather than perfection? Hey there, I'm Dr. Stacy Cordovano. I want veterinarians to learn to be happier, healthier, wealthier, and more grateful for the lives that we've created. On this podcast, I will speak with outside-of-the-box thinkers to hear new ideas on ways to improve our day-to-day lives. Welcome to The Whole Veterinarian. My guest today is Stephen McLaurie. He is the CEO and co-founder of Vet Badger, which is a veterinary practice management software. He is also the practice manager for Barber Vet, which is a small animal clinic that he has owned alongside his wife for over nine years. Prior to starting Vet Badger, Stephen worked as a software engineer, but after 20 plus years of seeing the struggles his wife was dealing with in regards to managing client and team relationships, as well as her struggles with available software at the time, he decided to create Vet Badger. In his off time, Stephen can be found shuttling his teenage daughters to and from school activities, spending time with his wife and their two dogs, or racing his bicycle. Today, we have kind of a wide-ranging chat about management and employees and kind of all things HR. And Stephen shares some really insightful ideas about creating a better team culture. So I'm excited to share this one with you. Please enjoy. Hi, Stephen. It's really nice to meet you. Thank you for being here today. Hi, Stacey. It's great to be here. So I am curious to hear a little bit more about you and your background and kind of your journey in veterinary medicine. Yeah. So I have kind of an unusual journey. I didn't have any sort of direct experience with any sort of medical background when I was growing up. We had pets. That was about it. And then I met the woman who would end up being my wife just before she started vet school. And so we got married after her first year in vet school and she was in Dublin, Ireland. And uh, so we, we moved to Ireland and I have a background in software engineering. So I was writing software while she was in vet school. And then she started in uh, corporate practice for a while. And so I sort of, I had some experience with, what she was going through, but not a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to sort of be involved. And then about nine years ago, we bought a private practice. And so I've been the co-owner of a practice for about nine years. And then about that time, we also started talking about software. And so she had some concerns about the software that was available. And we started talking about the features that we'd like to build and, you know, how practice management software should really work. And, a lot of it comes down to sort of managing relationships. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of software is not very strong in. And so we started building Vet Badger, which is a practice management software, and started using it at her clinic. But that was sort of my exposure to her clinic was sort of running the software company, getting feedback from her on how it worked and talking to a lot of other vets, of course, mm-hmm. you know, bringing on other vets onto the software. But then about a year and a half ago, we went through some drama at the clinic and I ended up as the practice manager. And so for the last year and a half now, I've been managing a small animal practice here in Portland, Oregon. Got it. Was that a role you were glad to take on? (laughs) Yes. On the whole, yes. 
it was a challenge, but you know, I had obviously I'd spent many years talking to practice managers and working with vets, and I had what I thought was a good exposure to how it would work. A lot of practice managers, as with many things in veterinary medicine, a lot of it comes down to relationships with people. And if your background is in software engineering, that's not necessarily a strength, but I feel like I'm making a reasonably good attempt at it. Great. Well, I want to dig more into about like what you're doing, but before I do that, you've said it twice now, and I'm, I want you to elaborate a little bit more kind of this idea of basing it around relationships and that especially your practice software. I want to know more what that means. Cause I think, yeah, we can all agree that practice management software is tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the way we look at it, the, the way we first started looking at it was that, so back up a second, even before it was practice management software, what my wife initially really wanted was a better way to manage her communication with her clients. And one of the things that we realized about the relationship that you as a vet have with your clients is that it's asymmetric because typically your client has one vet, but you have maybe a couple thousand clients mm -hmm. and each of those clients wants to feel as though they have a close personal relationship with you, but you've got 2000 of them to keep track of. And I often call it the grocery store problem because my wife will be walking down the aisle of the grocery store and someone will walk up to her and say, Dr. Alexandra, how are you? And she'll look at them like, I don't remember who you are. Mm. I would remember your pet, but I can't remember your face, right? And so this is sort of a constant problem, I feel, with – I mean, veterinary medicine isn't the only place that this happens. It's one of the biggest problems, I think, with the software that is provided is that it doesn't offer you any support for this type of problem where – you want to be able to look at a medical record and not just see like, here's the list of medical problems that this client, that this patient has had, but here's the list of all of my interactions with this client. And here's things that my staff have said to this client and things that this client has replied to my staff. And all of those things factor into the way that you're going to communicate with that client. And we know that client communication is key to compliance, mm -hmm, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Better compliance, put the numbers are like 47% or sure. something. Your clients are, are going to follow your instructions more closely if they feel that they have an open channel of communication with you, if they feel like they have a good relationship with you. And so it's better medicine to have better communication. And it's really difficult to try to manage that in sort of an ad hoc manner. And so that was one of our core initial beliefs about what we wanted to build. And so we started building Vet Badger with that sort of communication management, client relationship management at the heart of the medical record. And then the next thing we realized was that there is a similar, it's a different dynamic, but if you're working with a team, there are team relationships that need to be managed. And in that case, it's more a question of sort of workflow and making things as efficient as possible. But giving each individual member of the team some autonomy and some control over their own work while also keeping everything synchronized and making sure that everything gets done. That was another area that we felt that practice management software didn't really address that. Great. Yeah. And I think that's a great transition to talk about team dynamics in general and, you know, keeping your 
staff members, attracting great new staff members. And the word autonomy is a huge part of that because we know just from research and burnout and retention studies that autonomy is so important. So what do you see now as a practice manager and having developed the software that focuses on that? What are you seeing in the industry and what's working, what's not working? So this is where I don't want to claim to be an expert in this because I, you know, I have not a whole lot of experience and honestly, I have failed quite a bit. Yeah. Retention is always difficult. So the first thing I would say, sort of the, the elephant in the room is let's not pretend that it's not about money. I think that's been one of the biggest problems in the industry is that employers tend to take advantage of the fact that people in this industry do it because they love it and the employers can get away with paying them less. Mm -hmm. And that's not a sustainable path. So I think the first thing that, you know, if you're, if you're looking to retain your staff, make sure you're paying them well and not just sort of living wage salaries, but make sure you're paying them, you know, competitive salaries so that they're not looking for other careers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great point. And then there are things about like, you know, offering, free lunch, offering flexible schedules, work-life balance, all those kinds of things. But once you've addressed all that, yeah, having a culture in the clinic where people are responsible for their own tasks, people can determine you know, their own workload, but can still be accountable for the work that they're getting done. I think having all those things sort of built into the clinic culture is, is a key to keeping people sort of fully engaged with the job. And so for owners or managers that are listening, if that's not currently how their practice runs, do you have suggestions on how maybe they can move in the direction of providing more autonomy? I think, I mean, yeah, it's often difficult to make these adjustments in stages. It depends on how many, you know, so many systems are sort of interwoven with the procedures and the process that you have in place. And it is very difficult to change Culture is overnight. It's not something that you can just decide. You know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. give everybody autonomy today. I know that's really too bad. It'd be great if that was possible. <laughs> it, yeah, but if you start off with the goal of you know we want to get the most value possible from our employees, you know, as a as a business owner, there is great value in leveraging the skills of your employees, right? And so mm-hmm. that works better if you can let them find their own strengths. And so if you start off with that philosophy, then you say, well, you know, instead of just having sort of predefined roles, let's have, you know, a bunch of different types of roles and people can fill them in different ways. So for example, you can have an assistant who likes working in surgery and doesn't like working in the rooms, but you know, it's a similar skill set, but maybe they don't want to interact with people quite so much. And so you can let people choose that. And, you know, maybe even on a daily basis, you can say, well, you know, let people sort of come up with their own role assignments for the day. So are you guys like tactically, are you guys doing that in staff meetings or? Yeah. I mean, again, that's sort of, there's sort of an ad hoc meeting at the beginning of the day where people go through and say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to work with this client and then I'm going to work with this client. And, you know, they kind of look at the schedule and say, this is, you know, these are the clients that are coming in. We've got these procedures that we're doing today. I should step back a little bit. One other strategy that we've been implementing, and again, I don't know if this is a great long-term strategy, but it's sort of the only thing we've 
been able to come up with recently is overhired because mm. one of the problems these days is absenteeism. It has become, and I don't know, again, I'm sort of new at this, but it definitely surprises me how frequently not everybody comes to work. And I've been an employee for a long time, and I certainly understand there are definitely days when you don't want to be at work. And there are, as an employer, I don't necessarily want to force people to come to work if they don't want to be there. And so I have to find other ways to adjust for that. And one of the ways that we've done it is we've hired more people than we actually need. But what that means is you have to give everybody flexibility depending on who's there on the day, you know, which which tasks are they going to take on, which roles are people going to fill based on, you know, who's currently available. And you're letting them kind of do that on their own. Like th that's them gathering in the morning. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know what's normal. I, I don't work in a small animal <laughs> clinic, but I don't imagine that a, a lot of clinics are doing that. So I think it's interesting and like, yeah. And again, I, and I can't say that this is normal again, I, as you know, as I said, I'm sort of an amateur at this and I'm not a full-time practice manager. So I'm not there during this morning meeting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think in the past we've had practice managers who were sort of more involved in that, we also had much higher turnover back then. Mm -hmm. So maybe I've accidentally stumbled onto an answer. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's why I was asking, right? Because, I mean, this podcast is all about thinking outside of the box. And so maybe you did just need someone that <laughs> hasn't been in the trenches for 20 years doing it the same way over and over again. So yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, so far, it seems to be working pretty well. And again, of course, We've been using the software for a long time, and I don't know how much of it is directly attributable to the features that are built into the software. There's, you know, there's task management stuff that's in there. There's sort of that, that's where the original ideas around autonomy came from is that you can decide which tasks you're going to pick up at any given time. And once you've taken responsibility for those tasks, they're on your list and they're not on other people's lists. And so that's sort of the way that part of it works. And I don't know if that has helped us build the culture where an approach like this would work. Because mm -hmm. there's some ac accountability then. Yeah. Because you've put it on your own list. Yeah, you've yep. put it on your own list and people can see mm -hmm. when it's gotten done, who did it. Mm -hmm. But it's not, you know, other people can give you tasks, but you don't have to do them and you can arrange the priority of the tasks as well. Everything is, is sort of mm -hmm. priority ordered. Yeah, I would imagine that plays some part in it at least. Yeah, that's interesting. And then... I'm sure there's some people out there thinking, I can't overhire. What are you guys doing to attract new talent? So this part's interesting. I don't know exactly. Again, we're a small enough team that my sample size is not large here. I feel as though the culture is pretty good and that helps us hire. Mm -hmm. I think you know we do offer competitive salaries. One of the main things is that we offer a four-day work week. Mm. with three-day weekends. And it's not just sort of, you know, everybody only has to work four days a week. It's everybody works the same four days every week because the clinic is only open four days a week. So that was one of the main things that we changed. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I was wondering how you made it even that everybody got a three-day weekend. Yeah. This is one of the things that we changed. We resisted this idea for a while, but we used to have an associate and she left about a year ago. And Dr. Alexandra, my wife, was not interested in working six days a week. She had done that earlier in her career and was just right. kind of like, no, I'm all done with that. We're not mm -hmm. going to stay open six days a week. And so initially it was sort of an emergency, like, well, you know, we'll have to just be open, you know, four days a week or something. 
And then we started talking to our advisors and started looking around at the numbers and the environment that we're in now. And it actually kind of made sense. And we started thinking, well, if we're only open four days, it's the same team working together in the same way every day. And so this is part of the sort of psychological safety, autonomy, all of these things. Everybody knows who's going to be, well, aside from the you know absenteeism when, when people don't sure. come in, but that becomes the only time that the team changes. So you're not dealing with rotating schedules. You're not dealing with, you know, hey, if you work Saturday, I'll work your Thursday or something. You know, all that sort mm-hmm. of complexity around managing people's lives and trying to plan out like that sort of constantly dynamic schedule makes it so much easier for people to plan their lives, their lives, but also to understand what to expect when they're at work as well, because it's the same team and it's the same kind of the same schedule Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know all the research in other industries is saying that four day work weeks are just as productive and Certainly, there's a little more talk in the equine industry about it, but there's also a lot of pushback, like, how could I possibly make as much money in four days? But so you're kind of backing up that profitability-wise, it works as well. I can tell you that we make more money than we did before. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have thoughts on why that is? I mean, I have thoughts, I've read thoughts, but I'm curious on your thoughts. I mean, I have specific thoughts about the people involved. And again, this is not a large sample size because we've made this change while we're going through a process of inflation and, you know, lots of financial changes, economic changes Mm -hmm. in the environment. And so if you look at our numbers, they are significantly better than they were last year. How much of that is attributable to the four day week? Probably not much, but it certainly hasn't made it worse. Yeah. And in terms of work life balance, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's made everything better. No brainer. And it has, again, small sample size, but I feel as though the turnover problem has gotten a lot better. I feel as though people are happier at work. It just makes more sense to me. Yeah, that's great to hear. I love kind of any research to back that up because, yeah, I think it's so important. When my associate joined, she just kind of defaulted into a five-day work week. And I was like, nope, you're going to have a four-day work week because there's no way we can't get this all done in four days. I can cover the other day and you can have time to do what you need to do in your life. And I think she's been appreciative of that. So I'm hoping more people are moving that direction. Any other thoughts kind of to wrap up on advice or things to consider for owners or managers when they're thinking about recruiting and retaining employees? The one thing I would say is that you should recognize that the world has changed in the last couple of years in terms of what your biggest problem probably is. So I used to think of the business as the biggest problem was how do we find more clients? How do we increase revenue? Like how do we bring more people in the door? Mm -hmm. But then everything changed and clients bring themselves in the door. (laughs) <laughs> which it seems it's an obvious thing to say but if you think about the consequences of that we don't worry about marketing anymore but we're also much more comfortable for example firing a client the other side of it is it's very difficult to hire good staff and to retain good staff and those two things are closely related because you know it used to be there was this phrase the customer is always right right and so you tell your staff to 
bend over backwards to accommodate the needs of some whiny client. Mm -hmm. And now that's not a good idea. Like you have a business imperative to stand behind your employees and your clients. I mean, I don't want to say they're expendable, but they kind of are, right? If you want to care for your staff, yeah, and <laughs> yeah so the, the rude ones are exactly yeah. <laughs> like you can get rid of those clients. You can stand up to those clients, and your staff will appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Like you can provide that environment where your staff will understand that they don't have to take the abuse that often comes in a vet clinic if they know that you're going to stand behind them and you know get rid of the troublesome clients. Yeah, I think that's great. A great thing to point out and end on because I still hear it from a lot of people in different groups or mentorship circles that they don't feel supported by their bosses, whether that's an associate veterinarian or a team member. Yeah. I think it's still a huge problem. So thanks for highlighting that. I appreciate that. I know you guys have a great newsletter. Where can people find out more about you, about the software, connect with you, things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Just go to vetbadger.com. Okay. Perfect. Easy. Check it out. And then I always ask my guests, what is one small thing that has brought you joy this past week? <laughs> so I've been looking forward to this question and I thought maybe I'd come up with some, you know, erudite philosophical answer. And then this morning the sun came out and I don't know if you've ever spent much time in the Pacific Northwest, especially in the winter time, but we haven't seen the sun for a while. And I just realized like, I'm just going to go outside and enjoy some sunshine because sometimes it's just the little things. It is. It is. That's the point of that question, actually. So I appreciate you (laughs) backing me up on that. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. I really appreciate it. It was nice getting to chat with you. Yeah, thanks a lot. I've enjoyed this. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Whole Veterinarian Podcast. I so appreciate the time that you spend with me. To connect, please find me on Instagram at The Whole Veterinarian. Or check out the website at thewholeveterinarian.com and you can sign up for our monthly newsletter as well. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon.